0: Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Church Talk. In this message, Brandon looks at the word saved. This word gets thrown around in churches all the time, and the reality is that many people really don't know what it means to be a Christian. Listen as Brandon explains our need for a Savior and why so often we misunderstand God's plan for our life. Good morning. How's everybody today? good that got loud really quick didn't it we're glad you're here and uh just just thankful you came to worship with us today um we're going to continue in this church talk series we got two more weeks this week and next week this week we're looking at the word saved um if you have your bibles you can turn to romans chapter five but we we so often hear people talk about being saved right and and it's something constantly you hear about well Daniel got saved, or Jim got saved, or Susie got saved. And and I wonder sometimes if people really know what that means, or if they think, well, like, they got saved from a bear, um, uh, you know, drowning. What what was it that they got saved from? And so we're going to look at that today and and a little bit about what being saved is. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verses 8 through 10. Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning um, for your love and your grace, your mercy. God, I thank you that when our flesh is weak, God, you are strong, that your spirit is strong, God. And I pray that today your spirit will work mightily in us, that you would come into this place. And God, um, that we would open our hearts, that we would hear you knocking on the doors of our hearts and that we would let you in. God, um, maybe for the first time, God, Father, I thank you um, for the reality of who you are, that you are a very real God who speaks. And so I pray that you would speak now through the power of your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, how many of you, a couple of weeks ago, maybe you went to the Georgia Southern game. Um, it was a tough loss, but it was a good game. Um, we were at that game, um, and something pretty interesting happened. Um, my wife, Susan, if you don't know, is about 35 weeks pregnant now. Woohoo. We're about to have number three, the trifecta, right? Um, and so we're, we're thinking it's a boy. If it's a girl, I'll probably pass out because we got two boys. I have no clue what to do with a girl. So if it's a girl, you will really need to pray for us. Pray for us anyway. But, but we really will need your prayers if it is um, a girl. All right. But um, at this game, um, there was a lot of people there and there was a guy there and my wife was, was sitting there and the guy behind her started just a conversation with her. And in the conversation, I heard him say, you got to quit drinking all that beer and talking about her belly. Cause she's 35. I mean, she's showing, right? And he's like, you got to quit drinking all that beer. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh." I was like, I know that didn't just happen because see, I've lived with Susan through this pregnancy and it wasn't me. He was going to have to deal with, it was her. And you know, when a woman is pregnant and her belly is starting to show, you don't talk about that. Right. And most of them don't even like the whole rubbing thing going on there. Cause you're like, Oh, look at it. It's so pretty. And to her, she's like, I look like, you know, I'm swollen, you know? And but this guy's there, and I'm like, man, this is going to be so great. I'm going to turn around and watch this happen because <laughs> I thought, man, she is about to. The, the two best hits all night were going to be her hitting this guy and this guy hitting the ground because I knew it was coming. I was like, he is, she, is, he, she is just about to wear him out. And, um, and I was sitting there looking at it, watching it happen, and then she just turned around and looked at me and kind of went, eh, eh, eh. you know, that little, eh, eh, eh. That little fake smile kind of thing. And I was like, who was that? She's like, I have no idea. And so, um, anyway, it was kind of funny. We laughed about it later, but I really thought this guy is doomed. The wrath of God would not compare to Susan when her head starts spinning around, horns grow out of her head, and she knocks this guy in the chops, right? And, And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about how in salvation, the good news of the gospel is that when we accept Christ, we are spared from what we deserve. How many of you say that he probably could have used like a pop in the lip, right? But but she spared him. There was grace in there. And when we accept Christ, that's what God does for us is that we come into a place of being spared from the wrath of God. And see, a lot of times churches go to one side or another. I find not too many churches want to be balanced in, 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 in what they teach and everything. So there's usually this, this um, deal where either wrath is never talked about and, and judgment is never talked about because it's uncomfortable and, and unpleasant, or it's the other side and every week it's like a bunch of filthy sinners are going to hell, you know. And uh, turn or burn, that whole kind of thing, right? And so, uh, but, but wrath and judgment is a very real thing. And the good news of the gospel is for those who've accepted Christ, we are in him. We are not appointed to wrath. It's what the Bible says. It's very clear. So we have been saved from the wrath of God. I want to give you this definition of what it means um, to be saved. This is, again, this is the definition I came up with just from studying. So if you want to write it down, maybe good. If you don't like it, then make up your own definition. All right, definition of saved. It means to be spared from God's judgment and wrath. Because you're trusting in the past, present, and future work of Jesus. It's spared from God's judgment and wrath because you're trusting in the past, present, and future work of Jesus. See, here's the good thing about salvation. When you come into Christ, you come into a place where, and this is the part we really we love this, because it says what that our sin has been taken away that our sin is as far as the east is from the west, that we have been forgiven of our sin, not only forgiven, but we've been justified so that it means that we, it's like we have never sinned before. So that our slate is clean and we are made right in the eyes of a righteous God. And so we come to this place where our past is taken care of. But you know, the cool thing about God is that our present is also taken care of. The good news is you don't have to wait till eternity to experience God. You can experience God now. You can know him now. You can have the life of God, and we should have the life of God now. Even in the midst of the circumstances you're living in, even in the midst of the things you're going to, through, you can have the life of God now. That's good, right? Amen. I'm glad you're excited about that. Um, but we, we see this. It is very real that we can have the life of God now. The other side of it is we, can, we have salvation in the future. There is coming a time, according to Revelation 21, that every tear will be wiped away. How awesome will that be? No more tears. That, that, that pain will cease. That you and I will, will, will be in the presence of a very real and awesome God. That, that, that um, everything that is old will pass away. And, and behold, he says, I make all things new. And that's the promise of the future. So there is a a past, a present, and a future um, in our salvation. And so it's a continual thing. And it's good and it's great and we love it. But here's the thing that that, that I really want to talk about today. I believe that for a lot of us um, and and in a lot of churches and in this church, there is a misconception of what salvation um, is about. There's a misunderstanding of what salvation is. And I believe it is because the church has tried to water it down so much that it will become palatable, not realizing that there is something on the inside of every one of us that desires to hear the truth, even though it may be painful. There is something in the pit, of, of, uh, in the core of our being that says, I need to know the truth. And I believe that by the church having shied away from telling people the truth, that we've actually hindered people from coming into the kingdom of God because we've tried to water it down and make it more palatable. See, I believe this. I believe that some people today don't really know if they came to salvation because they met God or because they felt guilty. And so they were here one day. They did something on a Saturday night. They were in a church one day. They were at a meeting one day, and some guy gets up and talks about, you know, you need to repent, you need to come back to Christ. They did something bad the night before. And so out of guilt, they say, yeah, I want that. Or, or maybe they, they, you tried to make a deal with God. Anybody ever try to do that? Oh, God. I will live for you if you will help me get my bill paid. I promise, God, I will. Everything I have is yours, oh, God, if you will help me get my bill paid. Or how about this one? Oh, God, if you will help me pass this test, I will give I give my life to you. And, and the preacher says, if you'll bow your head and close your eyes, then what I'm going to do is ask you a question. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And today you want to know him. And you're like, oh, God, if I can just, I'll pass that test, God, if And so you raise your hand. I mean, we come to this in a whole lot of different ways. And I think it's led to a lot of confusion about salvation because you come to this place where you close your eyes, you bow your head, you raise your hand. We try to make it as comfortable as we possibly can for everybody. And then you raise your hand, you walk out the door, nothing's ever different, right? Does it make sense that we could come into contact and encounter a real living, holy God and not be changed? Absolutely not. It does not make sense. And so we need to realize that that if we just said a prayer, and you hear me say this, like if we said a prayer and nothing else happened, we need to revisit that. We need to ask some tough questions. And and I want to tell you, uh, when I was, I guess I'd been living for God maybe two years. Um, Susan and I were living in the same house we live in now. And there was a a knock on the door one night. And I went to the door, and there was this guy with one of these tracks in his hand, right? And I just happened to look down, and I could see like flames on it. And I was like, oh, what's he, what's he talking to me? And I was like, oh, gosh, you know. I, I realized what I was in for at that point, right? And so he says, sir, I need to ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, do you know Jesus Christ? I said, I do. That wasn't good enough. You ever seen people like that, that it just didn't good enough, right? That ain't enough. And so he's like, but do you really know him? I was like, I really know him. But do you know that you know? I said, I know that I know he said, but do you know that you know that you know that you know? I was like, how long are, this is this? Like, I know to infinity. Okay. Are we done? And, and he was saying, he said, and then he has me a track and he's like, because if you don't know, brother, there is coming a day when the wrath of God is, and he doesn't say God, it's like, not God, it's like God, the wrath of God is going to fall. You know? And he's like, and you will be in the flames. Of, I'm like, I'm like, dude, if you don't get off my porch, we're going to have some major issues. Because I've been saved for a little, I haven't been saved that long. And so I, I, you know, I can get away with this because, you know, I'm a new Christian kind of thing, right? I could hit him and be like, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, you still got to work on me, right? Um, But that's what I felt like in my spirit. I was like, gosh, I just want to just suck this guy because he's just kept on and on and on. But, you know, the cool thing about it, and it was kind of good for me when I got away from him, I was like, you know, he couldn't make me doubt my salvation. He couldn't make me doubt the fact that I had met Christ. But here's the thing I see in church all the time is so many people live in this turmoil of do I really, have I really received salvation? Am I really saved? But here's the thing that I I would challenge you with. If if I came up to you and and I said, listen, and you're married, and, and I walked up to you and I said, have you met your wife? You wouldn't sit there and go, hmm, well, I think so. Or about this. If you went to Washington, D.C. and you met the president of the United States and and you shook his hand and you met him and you came all the way back to Statesboro, would you know that you met the president? Whether you like him or not, would you know that you met him? Yeah. If somebody says, did you meet the president? You wouldn't go, gosh, I, I can't remember. I think I did, but I just don't know. Now, granted, he's the leader of the free world, so it'd be pretty cool, right? But, but don't you think it would be just as impactful? Don't you think it would be just as um, um, powerful to meet the one who created the world? Don't you think that if we meet the God of the universe, that there is, we're going to remember that, right? We're going to know that I met the God of the universe. And I think that it's the same way with, with us in our salvation. When you've met him, you know you met him. Would anybody agree with that? Am I just talking to myself, you know, you met Jesus, that there's no question in your mind. I met him. But I think a lot of times we get confused about that. I want to tell you a couple of things about the guy that was on my front porch steps. Listen, the thing I don't want to do today, I don't want to be that guy, right? I don't want to be the guy that's up here going, are you sure you're saved? because if you're not, you know, the flames of hell are going to, I mean, yeah, if you're not saved, there is going to be wrath. There is going to be judgment. That's coming, right? That's just the truth. But I also don't want to be the guy who just glosses over everything and everything's fine because I realize this too. I'm responsible for what I tell you. And so I want to maybe challenge you. For some of you, it'll be a confirmation to you. For some of you, I pray today that some of you by the end of this service will say, I need to meet him. I need to know him because I realize I don't and I realize I want to. And so I want to talk to you today about that. I believe if, if you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, i want to read something to you. Luke 19 verse 1. I want to give you what I would consider out of the scripture, a little litmus test. For, um, for, for seeing if you, if you know God to see if, if you have actually come into a place of, of salvation with him. And listen, I know this, not no man can know what's in your heart. No man can know where you are with, you know, where you are with God. So I I just want to read this to you and let you hear this. Um, Luke 19 story of Zacchaeus. It says in Luke 19 verse one, it says, Jesus entered Jericho. And was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now listen. Do you think that after this event was over, Jesus ends up going back to Zacchaeus' house? He says, "Listen, I'm going to eat with you." He ends up going back to Zacchaeus' house. Do you think that the next day Zacchaeus woke up and said, "Did I meet him? Did I, did I really meet Jesus?" No. He knew he met Christ. So the first question I want you to ask yourself is, "Have I met him? Have I met Christ?" Because he, the Bible, if he's as real as the Bible tells us he is, then we can really meet him, right? We can really know him. We can really have an encounter with him. Have you met Jesus? It says this, all the people saw this, or one up, six. It says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But, but Zacchaeus was here, he welcomed him gladly. He began to follow Jesus. Jesus was going to his house. He made a decision right there. I'm going to follow Christ. He made a decision that I want, to be, I want to be his disciple. I want to walk with him. The second question is, did you make a decision to follow him? When you met him, did you make a decision to follow him? Did you make a choice that from now on my life is going to be lived for him? It says, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. As Achia stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. The third question is this. Listen, Zacchaeus met Christ. He decided he would follow him, and it changed his life forever. When you met Jesus, when you decide to follow Christ, what did he do in your life? Because I just do not believe we can encounter and decide to follow God, the creator of everything we see and everything we know, and walk out of these doors and be the same. There's nowhere in Scripture that somebody met Christ, decided to follow him, and didn't change. Nowhere. And so we need to ask ourselves, did I meet him? Did I decide to follow him? And how did he change my life? How did he change my life? Because I believe with all my heart that today, um, churches are full of people who said a prayer, but I don't know that they ever really decided to follow Jesus. I don't know that they ever really decided that, that I want to be like him, that I want to walk in his ways. I, I think a lot of people decided to come to Christ and to, to make that decision because everybody else was doing it. Anybody ever made a decision because everybody else was doing it? How many of those did you regret? Right? I believe a lot of people did that. Or maybe some guy just stood up and he just tried to sc- literally scare the hell out of you so that you would go to heaven, right? You know, you're going to burn, you're going to burn, you're going to burn. And, and so you're just like, well, I don't want to burn. You're like six, and you're just like, I don't want to burn. So you raise your hand. you like, I'm scared. Flames hurt. And so you just raise your hand. You're like, okay. You know, there, there's so many reasons that people come to Christ. But I believe this. I believe that biblically we come to Christ when we identify our need for a Savior. And we receive the offer that Christ has made to be our savior. And then when we give him our screwed up, jacked up, messed up life, he gives us righteousness and pours the Holy spirit into us so that we get changed. It's, it's the regeneration of our life. It's the regeneration of our heart that comes by the work of the Holy spirit so that, so that we change and we become different. Then we follow him, and, and we're shaped, and we're, we're, we're different than we've ever been before because he's made us new. He's changed our heart. Our heart begins to beat like his heart, and we become a new creation, as the Bible says. The old is gone. The new has come because of what Jesus did in our life. Can we say today that we have met Christ, that we decided to follow him, and that he changed our life? I'm not talking about being perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. I'm talking about that as you've walked and you followed Jesus, that your life has changed, that he's made a difference in you, a difference in your life. First John one six says that. um, That if we claim to be in him, then we will walk as Jesus walked, that we will begin to walk in the manner that Jesus walked. Um, I believe that it's because we begin to identify ourselves with him. How many of you have ever had a friend and you hung around them and, and they begin to shape the way you acted and the way you talked, right? I guarantee you everybody in here, there's somebody you've been around. It may be a boss, it may be a coworker, it may be a best friend. It, you, you begin to act like they act, right? Um, I remember Dave one time, he came home from school, um, a seven-year-old, and he walked in the door and I was like, hey, man, you want to throw the baseball? And he's like, yeah, dude, let's throw it. I was like, dude? It's like, yeah, dude. I was like, boy, you better reckon I will slap your taste out of your mouth, boy. Don't you talk to your daddy like that? You know, and 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 then one day he he did something. We were we were playing ball. He hit a ball real really well or something. And I I, I said um wow man that was great that was awesome you know you really whacked that one. And then he looks at me. He's like whack daddy seriously. It's like what you're seven. But he had heard his friends at school. You know they're talking like that. And I'm like where did he get this? He didn't hear me say that. You know where did he get this kind of stuff? This thankful that's like the worst thing. You know and he didn't come home saying some other stuff. But. But your friends, they they begin to change the way you act. They begin to change the way you think. They begin to change um, who you are. Does it not make sense that if we walk with Christ, that we begin to take on the attributes and the way Christ lives? Does it not make sense that if our friends have that kind of influence and power, that Jesus, the, 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 the son of God, God himself, the Holy Spirit, would come and begin to change our lives? Yes, it makes perfect sense. It only makes sense that if we hang out with Him, we're going to be changed. And when we begin to identify ourselves with Him, then we start to be changed. Look at Mark chapter 1. I was reading this this week, and a couple of things jumped out at me. And this is where we'll kind of spend the bulk of our time and take the the rest of um, our thoughts from. But I want you to see something that I believe is missing in our gospel of salvation. Um, I believe that it's missing because we've, we've taken it out. And this is important. In uh, Mark chapter one, verse nine, it says at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. See, here's the amazing thing about this. Jesus comes, comes and he's baptized by John. John's baptism, the Bible says, was a baptism of repentance. Repentance is what? When you turn from sin and you turn to God. And so uh, you read this and you're like, why would Jesus be baptized? And I've heard a lot of people say, and I believe this, that, that because it was prophesied, he, Jesus himself said, we need to fulfill all righteousness and we need to do what's been spoken. We need to do this because, because it's what's right. And so he's baptized. But I believe um, one of the biggest reasons, maybe the biggest reason, that Jesus was baptized was to identify himself with a movement of God. And that's the first thing I want you to understand that I believe happens when we begin to identify ourselves with Christ. We're identifying ourselves with a move of God. We say, yeah, yeah, I see what's going on. You know, John, um, John had been baptized, and he was the one that the Bible says would come and prepare the way for the Lord. He would come and, and make straight the path of the Lord. And so he's preaching. Jesus recognizes this is the time. God has begun to do this movement. I know why I came. And so he joins the movement. It was him submitting his will to God. Have you submitted your will to God? Have you said, yes, I'm in this? Have you you said, I'm going to be a part of what God is doing? Are we willing to do that? Because what I see a lot of times, guys, and this this is sad, but it's very true. The very thing that Jesus came to die for, the church, the people, you and I, are the very thing that hinders the move of God. Because we still haven't decided we're going to fulfill the purpose which we were put here for. We're still on the fence trying to figure out, am I going to join the movement? Am I going to get in with what God wants to do? When we come to Christ, when we receive salvation, we identify ourselves with the move of God. It began all the way back when Adam and Eve sinned. God already had a plan. You can go read Genesis 3.15. God prophesied that one day he would crush the head of the serpent. And I want to tell you that when Jesus was on the cross and he breathed his last breath and he said, it is finished. It was finished. God had crushed the head of the serpent. And now you and I have the ability through Christ to begin to be a part of the movement that God started. But are you a part of it? Are you you doing something? Am I doing something with this opportunity to be a part of who God is? See, I believe this. I believe a move of God changes people's hearts because of the reality of God at work. But I believe our churches today try to hide the fact that there is no uh, presence of God, that there is no reality of God in the church by putting up this facade that everything's okay. I believe that that, that what we end up doing is building a facade around a, a dead, stinky, empty tomb. So that it looks good on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing really happening because we're just a bunch of people who get together and rather depending on the power of God for our lives and rather than depending on the power of God to change people's hearts, we just get together and we think about it and we say, well, we can start programs, man. Let's do this program. Let's do this program. Let me tell you, a program never changed anybody's life. It was God working through a program. If we don't have Christ, if we're not a part of the movement of God, if we would just get in the flow of what God's doing and begin to move with him and let him use us the way he wants to use us, we could really see, I'm not, I'm not talking about just a little impact, I'm talking about a major impact on the hearts of people. But, but we, we, we still haven't joined in what Christ is doing. We still haven't become what Christ wanted us to become. We're still hiding um, uh, behind a facade that everything's okay. And we need to get into the movement of what God's doing. The second thing that I believe he identified with and that we have to identify with Christ is in his suffering. Listen, you will never hear me preach. I'm not one of these preachers. I don't believe that God tries to kill you. I don't believe God gave your grandma cancer. I don't believe any of Bible The Bible's very clear where cancer, where sin, where death, where everything comes from. It comes because of sin. It comes from the evil one right? I mean, I'm a loving father. I wouldn't give my own son cancer. God's not going to give you cancer, right? If you disagree with me, come show me in the Bible where it says that God will. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about suffering. What I'm talking about is that that God wants us to join in um, beyond our comfort level to be a part of his work. See, here's the problem. We have... We, 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 we do this even with altar calls. I do this even with altar calls for people to get saved. Bow your head, close your eyes now if, if you want to receive Jesus today then then, then i 'm going to just say um Say a prayer. You pray that prayer, and then I want you to raise your hand. We do this, right? And I'm not invalidating anybody's salvation. If that's how you got saved, praise God. I'm all for it. We do that here sometimes, just depending on how God leads. I'm all for that. But the thing that I realize in that is even from the beginning, we're trying to make it as comfortable for people as we can, right? Close your eyes, bow here, because God forbid somebody wants to know that you want to become a Christian in a church. <laughs> What's up with that? You know, so everybody, and then they're always like, they're scratching their ear. You know, their hands right here. I mean, come on. We ought to be a little bit bold about that, right? Making a decision that I want, but we're so concerned about comfort. Again, we water it down because we don't want it to be something that challenges people. We want to ease them into it. And then we want to start talking to them about, well, you need to be crucified with Christ. Huh? They didn't say that when I was praying that prayer. What are you talking about? Because we come into this place where we just try to make it so comfortable for people. We just try to make it all about um, easing them in, all about just comfort. And and I just believe this. I believe that if you meet the King of Kings, you meet the Lord of Lords, you meet Jesus Christ, you meet God, that it doesn't matter who's around. It doesn't matter. I'm surprised that when we meet him, we don't just like, just blow up. I mean, you're meeting God. And, but, but we say, well, just bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand. And then we're like, and nobody's looking. You're like, pre, you know, because you, you always want to peek. And be like, who's, who's raising your hand? <laughs> and, but then the the, the, the preacher, he, he, like, catches your eyes. You're like, oh, God, that guy said I'd burn in hell. Oh, man, dang. You know, so you get saved again. <laughs> but we try to make it so comfortable. We try to make it so easy. And, and the only problem with that line of thinking, the only problem with all of that is this. That's not in the Bible. A comfortable, nice lifestyle is not in the Bible. And when you come to know Christ, you no longer have the option of just living comfortable. No more. Let me tell you about this. And this is not to pat me. Listen, I got issues, people. Okay? I'm just going to I got. ask my wife. I got issues. Ask my son. I got So nothing I say is to say, well, he's righteous. No, I need Jesus as much as you do. But here's the deal. Every Sunday morning, I am so nervous about coming to talk to you. I can hardly sit still. In fact, probably about 30 to 45 minutes before the service, I can't even sit down and look at a piece of paper anymore because I'm up like this. I'm like, oh man, they're going to be looking at me and I don't know what I'm going to say. And some of them look mean and some of them don't laugh at my jokes. And sometimes I say stuff that I feel stupid. And, and sometimes it's so bad. When I do a wedding or a funeral, oh my God, you can ask Susan, I get so uptight about it because a wedding and a funeral, man, you think about it, you get one shot at that thing. See, at least with you guys, some of you, I'll get another chance next week. But it's not like you can be in the middle of a funeral and be like, okay, guys, we'll h- hold up. Can we start this over? I'm having a bad day. You think we could put it off to them. You can't do that. Or a wedding. The bride will kill you. <laughs> she will kill you. And don't even think she won't. I remember I did some friends of mine's wedding, and, and I was like, man, she will kill me. If I mess this up, she's been thinking about this day since she was two. If I screw this up, she is going to kill me. And so it's true. I mean, and, 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 but I get so nervous. There's some times where I'll leave here. Man, I feel like I had the flu, man. I mean, because I get so, I'm just, I, I want to, you know, I want people to hear about God. I want to make the mystery plain. I want people to understand who Christ is. And, and I get so worked up. And maybe it's a lack of faith. Maybe I'm not trusting in God. I don't know what it is. But, but sometimes I leave and I'm like, my gosh. And the other day I was thinking, I was like, can I do this forever? It's like, Geez. Can I, how many times can I feel like this before I just like check out, you know, or am I going to end up in Milledgeville, like in a room, like running into walls and stuff? I mean, what's going to happen? And, and, and so I'm like, you know, but here's the thing. I know I got to preach is it, me being uncomfortable. is not, is it's not an option to stop spreading the word of God. It's, it's not an option. I got to. If, if you know, one day i would probably just be up here preaching. Y'all going to be like, yeah, man. you would be, be up here met, preaching and all of a sudden like, just hit the ground. But that's what I'm called to do. But see, we would rather put our comfort ahead of our calling. We would rather be comfortable. We'd rather fit in. We'd rather do everything that everybody else is doing so we're not any different. And, and that's just messed up. That's just messed up. Listen to this. I got a hold of this this week offline. I thought it was so cool. Gave me, gave me chill bumps the first time I read it, which that's not like a sign you got saved either, is chill bumps. Like, people are like, oh, I had chill bumps. I'm like, we had the air down too low. I don't know. Um, listen to this. These are probably 13 of the people who were the closest to Christ when he walked the face of the earth, um, men of great faith. All right? Um, it says here, Matthew. He suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. He was he died from a sword wound. Okay, Mark the Mark in the Bible right there, um, dragged to death by horses through the streets because of his faith in Christ. Luke, hanged because of his tremendous preaching. John, the beloved son, the beloved of God. Right, um, we we all know about John. He wrote, he's um, in there too. Um, he was boiled alive. The crazy thing is he didn't die. He didn't die. And then they put him on the island of Patmos where he ended up dying. The only one of these that did not die, martyr's death. Listen to this. Peter, crucified upside down tradition, says that it was because he did not feel he was worthy to die the same death that Christ died. James, thrown down 100 feet from the pinnacle of a temple and lived. After he lived, he was beaten to death with a club. Now, I don't know about you. But I get thrown off the top of a building, and I fall 100 feet, and I'm not dead. You better believe what you say you believe if you don't get up and go, okay, guys, that's good. You know what I'm saying? I'm done. I'm good. But they ended up beating him to death. James, the son of ZBD. I don't know if that's how you say it. Just pretend it is because you don't know either. He was he was beheaded. But here's the cool thing about the beheading of James, the son of him, is that tradition says that the Roman officer, he walked him to the place of his execution upon seeing the faith of James. When they cut his head off, he knelt down beside him, professed his new faith and let him cut his off, too. Thank you. That can make you feel funny. Bartholomew. Flayed to death. That means they beat him to death with a whip. Andrew, crucified on an X-shaped cross. Thomas, stabbed with a spear on a mission trip. Now, see, that gives a whole new perspective to a mission trip, right? Because you're like, we're going to New Orleans to put roofs on houses because Katrina ripped them off. It's a whole different deal when you go, I'm going over there to New Orleans to get stabbed to death with a spear. How many people are signing up for that one? (laughs) Right? Jude, killed with arrows because he refused to deny his faith. Matthias, stoned and then beheaded. Paul, spent many years in prison before being beheaded. You know what's incredible about Paul? He spent all those years in prison, and yet you read his letters, and how much joy does he have? How many of y'all think we might be missing something? I do. Because we can't can't have joy just because we got to get up and go to work in the morning. Right? Or we got to go to school in the morning. We can't have joy because we got to study for a test. Paul's in chains knowing he's probably about to lose his life. And he's like, rejoice, brothers. Again, I say rejoice. And we're like, well, I can't rejoice. Why not? I got to go to work. Be glad you got a job. And so, what's, I mean, something's missing. And here's the awesome thing about this, guys. Think about this. These men, these, many of these men were the ones who scattered when Jesus was crucified. They, they left. Is it not an incredible testimony to the reality of God that these are the men who were willing to die for Jesus? That something happened, that they saw something, that there was something there that was so real that they were willing not to flee, but to come back and to preach the word knowing that they were going to die. I can go ahead and tell you when the first one got his head cut off, if it wasn't real, I would have been like, okay, tricks up. I'm out. I wouldn't have hung around. But the reality of it is that Jesus did die. He did get buried. He did come out of the tomb. He is alive today. And that because of that, you and I can have life. But the amazing thing is that these men were willing to go to the, their death because they met Jesus, because they decided to follow him, and because he changed their hearts and their lives. And you and I can't tell people what Jesus did in their hearts. And I have to wonder, is it because he's never done anything? Because we haven't offered him to him. Because he has knocked on the door of our heart time and time again, and we have rejected his offer. And maybe we prayed a prayer, but nothing happened. I'm not talking about the heaven's opening. I'm not talking about the, the, the sky parting and, and angels. Oh, I don't think you're sal- if your salvation is like that, it was a lot different than mine. OK, I'm talking about something that happens deep inside of you that begins to work itself out of you. And we experience that Has that happened. The last thing, well, not the last thing, sorry, I gave you false hope. <laughs> the third thing is this. We have to identify with his death. How many of you have ever had something that you thought was the best it could possibly be. Or you loved it. it might, you might've known there was something better, but you loved it. Maybe it was your cell phone. You had this cell phone and you loved your cell phone until you found something better. You saw your friends and you were like, Oh, I gotta get that cell phone, you know? And, and you had the iPhone and then you saw another phone and you're like, I gotta get that phone. And then, or you had a Blackberry and then you saw the iPhone, you got, Oh, I gotta have an iPhone. Anybody like that? How about a car? You had You liked your car until you rode in your friend's car and then you hated your friends because they had more money than you and you couldn't have their car? Or maybe your house, and you had your house, and, and 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 you loved your house, but then you went to your friend's house, and their house was really more cool than your house, and so you wanted their house. And then some of you had a boyfriend, and you liked your boyfriend. I'm just kidding about that one. <laughs> but some of y'all are like, yeah, man, I, do, I know exactly. Some of the girls, they're like, now I get it. You know? <laughs> and so... <laughs> But the reality of it is we're all about things that, that, that we like and we enjoy, and then we see something better, and we got to have it. Um, listen to this in Philippians chapter 3. This is really, really cool. Philippians 3. All right, I'm going to get there in a minute. Wrong one. There it is. I want to read to you a little bit more than I read at 9 o'clock. I'm going to start in verse 7. And I know I threw the computer guys off. Sorry about that. Just y'all forgive me. Deal with it. All right, um, verse 7. But whatever, this is Paul speaking of writing, by the way, while he was in prison. Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now listen to this. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Listen to this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We like that part. But then it says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That's what we just talked about. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now listen to this. Sometimes things come along that are so much better than the thing you've had before that you have to leave what was, what was okay to go after what's better. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, listen, I consider all those other things of my previous life to be rubbish. Translation, that word literally means dung, poo, right? That's what it means. I'm just telling you what the scripture, it means, it means dung, it means poo. He's saying my old life compared to the riches of what I have in Christ is poo, it's dung. I, I, I can't even tell you how my, my, my new life compares to that old life of mine. And see, here's what's crazy. If you're out at Mill Creek and you're walking around the park and people like to walk their dogs, and you, if you walk your dog, you need to clean up after your dog. That's all I'm going to say. Because I'm out there running. It's like running through a landmine. I'm like this right here. But you know what I don't do? I don't stop and pick it up and go, look what I found. Check this out. Why would we pick up our old life? It's dung. And if we've met God and he's given us a new life, why would we pick up an old life that is worthless, that is nothing? I believe that some of us live in this cycle of dealing with issues over and over and over again because we still haven't died. I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about where you die to your own desires so that you can fulfill the desires of God. Christ had to identify with his death. He knew he was going to die, but it was worth him dying because he loved you. Christ was willing to die for you. These men, these great men of faith, and we call them great men of faith. We need some great men of faith today that meet the risen Savior and begin to live a life that's honoring to him. And we come to this place where we always want to pick up what was old and just bring it on. Some of y'all are like like walking around and you got this dead man attached to your back. And see, the reason we do that, the reason we have to make the same decision, do I do this today or do I live for God today or do I live for God, do I not, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, is because we've never died to ourselves, to our own will. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Who are you living for? I have to ask myself, who am I living for? Am I living for God or am I living for me? Have I died to myself? Why why am I dragging a dead man around with me? I need to let that go. I need to begin to live in the newness of life that Christ offers. And begin to have what Christ offers wants me to have, because see, here's the deal. We get caught up in this comfort thing. We get up caught, caught up in this thing that, that, that we want to be, um, do or, or, or or do all that we want to do, um, not be exactly what Christ uh, died for us to be. We want to live for ourselves, not for God. But let me ask you this question: How many of you would say that you want the children of this church, you want the children um, of, of the families in this church, the children um, out in the community, to to just if they could fulfill the um, the mission statement of this church for our children, which is um, learning to love and living for God? How many of you think that'd be awesome that we want these children? See, some of y'all don't raise your hand for nothing. It does, and this, I told this first service, it does not make you Pentecostal if you raise your hand and ask a question, okay? It's not like, you know, we're not going to come out and slam you and, you know, just push you down, nothing like that. But, but come on, how many of you would say you want the kids to be living for God? Yes. But how many of us are willing to do what it takes so that we see the kids living for God? How many of us are, 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 are willing to help in children's church? Over at Connection Kids, how many of us are willing to pour into our own children so that they become spiritually mature, so that they come to know Christ? Are we willing to do that? Because if we're not, then we really don't believe what we say we believe. How many of us know people in our lives, our friends? And some of you may be here today. Um, who, who um, You may be the friend of somebody that brought you here today. We're thankful you're here. But how many of you have friends? How many of you know people that, um, that they need to know Jesus? We all do. I mean, I'll raise my hand for you, okay? This is like me raising my hand for you. You all do. But how many of us are willing to do what it takes so that they come to know Christ? Milan Turner, um, a good friend of mine, goes to church right here, um, sitting actually on the third row. Um, (laughs) Great football coach, won a state championship a few years ago, runner-up the next year. Um, Good football coach. But one of the things that I heard him say one time, he said, you know, i got a lot of kids that come to me, and they say, we want to be state champions. And then his response is, are you willing to do what it takes to be a state champion? Are we? How many of you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself that God does? An impact that only God can make. Are we willing to do what it takes to see that impact? You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, listen, I worked harder than all of them. And see, in the church, we don't want to tell people, well, this this thing takes effort. Because we want to kind of try to slip you in incognito. We don't want to tell people, you know, it takes effort. It takes effort. But Paul says, I worked harder than them all. But then he says, but not me, but the grace of God in me. So there's Christ working through them. I don't think you can meet a holy God and not want to do things for him. I don't think you can have a relationship with Jesus and not want other people to find out about Jesus. So we sit in a restaurant and we're like, okay, it's time to say the blessing. And then everybody's like. If you're by yourself, you're like, oh, I hope nobody sees me say a blessing. So you like, okay, good. Because we're just, it's like we're, we're ashamed or something. You know, it's one of those things where, I don't know, I, I want to see something bigger. I, I, I want to be closer to God. How many of you want to have more intimacy with God? You want to know him more? And open your Bible. Get in a connect group. I think you got to ask the question, is it more important that I'm on Facebook or spending time with my Heavenly Father? That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Facebook. (laughs) It's true, though. There's some people, man, I'll go on there and I'll check it every day. I wouldn't even have it, but that's how a lot of people communicate nowadays. And and I'll go on there just to check and see if i got any messages. There are some of y'all I see on, I don't know how you do anything else. I'm just being honest. I'm like, my goodness. It's like, I'm like, wow. But what's more important, guys? I mean, I only got my own issue. There's other things I'd rather be doing a lot of times. And and it's like, well, pick up my Bible, pray. But are we willing to do what it takes? Are we willing to die to ourselves? Are we willing to do it? The last thing is this. He says this at the very beginning of verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. See, here's the, here's the, good thing about it, we can have this victory. Now, we can know the power of his resurrection right now. See, see, Jesus is is, is here right now. God is here right now. We can have the life that God wants us to have right now. But we've got to begin to identify ourselves. We've got to meet him. We need to make a decision that I'm going to follow him. We We need to begin to be changed by him because we've submitted our life to him. And so we can come to this place. How many of you have a favorite sports team? Anybody? Everybody's got it. I love the Braves, but boy, they have broken my heart so many times. It's like a bittersweet relationship. I love the Braves. I do. I love them. And, and, and you know what's funny, though? You go to a sporting event, or you watch it on television, and what happens when, when somebody's team wins, especially if it's a big win, they're in front of the camera doing what? They're like, we're number one, baby. We're number one. And, and they're all up in there, They got their face painted, got something like on their chest and shirts all there. We're number one. I'm like, what's the weird part? right? Because what did you do? You didn't do it. You're not on the team. You're actually not even a part of the team, but you're like, we're number one, man. You're, but you're not a part of the team. And then they tell you like, you're the 12th man, (laughs) whatever. That's to get you to buy a ticket. And, and, And so there's this deal where we, we identify with the victory, right? But we can do the same thing with Christ. If you're in Christ, you've received Jesus as your Savior. You have have made a decision that you met him, and you made a decision, I want to follow him. And and you're being, man, he is doing a work in your heart. Then there comes this place where you begin to have life. It's a life that's different than anything anybody else can offer you. Listen, can I tell you this? In a perfect place where all your problems went away, without God, you still wouldn't be happy. But then here's Paul in a prison cell who's got more joy than most of you, but probably everybody in this room combined. Why? Because he had a living relationship with a living God who had changed his heart, and he knew that the best was yet to come. And I'll tell you this right now, no matter where you are today, the best is yet to come if you are in Christ. And you can identify with his victory over sin and over death. But I have to ask you, are you you in him? Have you met him? Did you decide to follow him and how's he shaping your life? I think those are the three questions we, we need to ask ourselves here today. In the garden, there was a, not like my garden at home, the the garden of Eden. Um, Adam and Eve were there and they sinned. And it says when they sinned, they went and they hid. And, uh, it says that God, they heard God walking through the garden. And God calls out and asks him a question. He says, where are you? Now, see, it's kind of funny because you know God knew where they were, right? It wasn't like God was like, well, I'll never find them. He knew where they were. I think he was giving them an opportunity to reveal themselves. My question to you today is this. Where are you? What are you hiding behind? Have you been playing like this little religious game where you built up this facade, but you know, deep down inside, you've never really lived for God a day, a minute. That's my question. And see, I, I, I could bring you in here and I could tell you all this good stuff and I could leave you out of here, but you know what? One day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be responsible for what I told you. And I want you to know the truth because we love you. We, we want to tell you the truth because we want you to be there too. But where are you today? Have you met him? Did you decide to follow him? Has he changed your heart? So I believe very much that those are the things that happen when we come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.